Joshua chapter 3, and if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you today, and most of the verses will be on the screen as well, but Joshua chapter 3 is where we're going to be. We'll start reading in a moment in verse number 1, and before we dive in, I wanted to make a mention of one church announcement, and many of you know that we are leasing this building that we're currently sitting in, and God's been faithful, and He's blessed us, and we've uh, started extra services to accommodate and uh, God is so good isn't he and I'm thankful for all that God is doing and this October our lease uh, comes to an end and we have an option uh, if we would like to extend the lease and uh, we are praying about what God would have us do but we're believing that in God's timing that he can provide a building for us and at Rock Hill we believe that uh, we want to dig deep roots here in the Inland Empire and uh, we're praying that God will provide a space or a building and when we first started the church, we started this giving fund called Building. We called it our Multiply Fund. And on the giving envelope, you'll see that it'll say Building. And I'm thankful that there are dear members of our church that every week they give above and beyond their tithes and offerings to that building fund so that if God provides a space for us, that we would be in a position to be able to put a down payment on that building. And so I want to encourage you today uh, to maybe pray and consider what God might have you do and, and a part of this building fund and we're believing that the best is yet to come we're believing that God wants to continue to use our church to reach people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus and uh, we're excited about this next season and uh, all that God is going to do that we believe uh, that he will do and so I wanted to make mention of that this morning and today we're gonna be in Joshua chapter 3 verse number 1 if you're there would you say amen the Bible says this in verse number one, and Joshua rose early in the morning and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went before the host and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Today I want to speak for a few minutes to this subject, tension in the transition tension in the transition. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for allowing us to come together and to lift up your name high. And God, I pray that as we study this text together over the next few minutes that your Holy Spirit would do a work of illumination, that your Holy Spirit would guide us in this text. And Lord, I pray that we can be challenged together and that we would not just be hearers, Lord, but that we would be doers. And God, I pray that we would uh, respond in a way that's pleasing to you and understand how we can walk by faith, even in seasons of unknown. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said today, 
The other day I was explaining to my son Luke how the Los Angeles Clippers and the Los Angeles Lakers, they share the same venue in Los Angeles, and it's Crypto.com Arena. And sometimes they'll have games on the same day. I think just a couple of weeks ago, the Clippers and the Lakers had a game on the same day. And Luke was asking me, Dad, how do they, how do they change the floor and how do they uh, change the, the, the stadium? And I told them that there is a transition team that comes in and helps make this uh, process possible. And I even brought a video for us so that we can have an idea of what this looks like. There's the Clippers court that they are removing, thank goodness. beautiful colors of purple and gold the Lakers court coming in and so they have this entire transition team that will come in to make this possible they can transition the entire venue in about two hours all the banners all the signs the floor everything in two hours it's a team of about 60 people now uh, thankfully for the transition team they're not gonna have to do that this season any longer because the Clippers are no longer in the playoffs but that's neither here nor there but this is the uh, transition team that will come in and make this possible. Uh, this morning we come to Joshua chapter number three, and the children of Israel are standing on the east side of Jordan, and they're getting ready to transition and to pass over the Jordan River. And it's interesting because in Scripture, the Jordan River always represents transition. If you remember in 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah was getting ready to pass on his ministry to a man named Elisha. They came to the Jordan River. Elijah took off his coat and he smote the river. The waters parted. And that marked the uh, transition from the prophetic ministry of Elijah to Elisha. In the New Testament, John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. And that inaugurated and marked the transition of Jesus into his earthly ministry. And here in Joshua chapter 3, as the children of Israel are standing in front of the Jordan, they are about to make a massive and monumental transition. They are about to transition from wandering to conquering. They are about to transition from hearing about the promises of God to now seeing and experiencing the promises of God. And perhaps most frightening for the children of Israel, they were about to transition from the known and the familiar to the unknown. In fact, Joshua makes this famous statement that I have referred back to often in my life and over the years of our church I've referred back to even in our ministry, where Joshua makes this statement where he says, we have not yet gone this way heretofore. Joshua says, we haven't been this way yet. Uh, this is new territory. This is uncharted territory for us. You know, the reality is for all of us is that we are rookies in every season of life. And, and as we traverse through life, we are rookies in every stage, and we have not passed this way uh, before. And so I believe that Joshua chapter 3 is particularly relevant for two reasons. One, life is full of transition, and life is full of the unknown. We're not always sure what tomorrow holds. And uh, uh, you might be in a transition today. Maybe it's a transition of career. Maybe it's uh, uh, being a new parent. Or maybe it's being an empty nester. Maybe it's a graduation or a retirement. Uh, perhaps looking for a new church. And there is a transition. And we need to know that there is typically a tension that will accompany the transition. Why? Because we are always most vulnerable in seasons of transition. The devil will look to attack. The devil will look to tempt when we are crossing the Jordan, so to speak, when we are making a transition. And so much of life is uh, unknown. The Bible says this in James chapter 4, in verse number 14, whereas you know not, you don't know. In fact, everybody nudge your neighbor and tell them, you don't know. You don't know. 
Uh, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. And so what does James, the brother of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, say? He says, you don't know what tomorrow holds. Uh, we don't know. Uh, we might try to predict the future. We might try to see the forecast. But we don't know what's on the horizon. So much of life is uncharted territory. Uh, it's, 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 it's new waters that we are uh, traveling through. And Joshua even here says, we haven't gone this way before. Now, this might make you feel a little nervous. This might cause a little fear and trepidation to enter into your heart. Man, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm, I'm a little anxious about uh, the direction that we're going. I'm a little uncertain as to what will take place. But I love what Corey Tenboom said. She says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I'm thankful today that even when I don't know what to do, and even when I don't know where to go, I know who I can put my trust in. I know that I can put my faith and confidence in the Lord, the one that saved me and called me and commissioned me for his glory. And so even when life is filled with uncertainties, I know who holds it all together. His name is Jesus. And so uh, today, as we consider transition and unknown, and, and what do we do when we're faced with a season of uncertainty. I believe that as we look to Joshua chapter 3, we can find uh, ways that we can instill uh, uh, spiritual courage within us. And so as you're looking to the text today, and if you want to jot a couple of things down by way of taking notes, I want to give us four ways that we can instill courage within us as we face the unknown. Uh, four ways. Number one is this from the text today. I see this. Don't lose sight of what's most important. Do not lose sight of what's most important in life. Notice verse number three, and I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready, and uh, we're going to refer back to these verses often. Notice Joshua chapter three, verse number three. And they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark, make sure that you can see it. You've got to see the ark. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. And so Joshua makes it very clear to the people, you need to see the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was that special piece of furniture for the Jewish people that represented the presence of God. And so he says, you need to see the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, uh, in chapters 3 and 4, the author mentions the Ark of the Covenant 17 times because he does not want us to lose sight of it. Keep your eyes on the Ark. Now, uh, we know in the New Testament what was placed within the ark. And I think it's fascinating. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 4, it says this, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein he was, wherein was the golden pot that had manna. So it's, he's mentioning uh, here what's inside of the ark of the covenant. Uh, the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And so three things specifically were inside of the Ark of the Covenant. We had a supernaturally preserved pot of manna. Remember when the children of Israel were making that exodus from Egypt and God provided that food source for them, that manna. And so there was a pot of manna. There was Aaron's rod, his staff that budded. If you remember, uh, God showed and demonstrated his power with that rod, that that rod that was lifeless actually brought forth life in the form of flowers that budded from that rod. And then you had the two tablets uh, whereon were written the Ten Commandments. And so uh, these were all placed inside of the Ark of the Covenant. I believe that all three of these things point us ahead to Jesus. 
I believe that in the New Testament, uh, Jesus is the bread of life. And so the manna represents the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. And uh, Aaron's rod that budded uh, represents the fact that Jesus is the only true source of life. If you are looking for life and life eternal, you have to go through Jesus Christ, demonstrating his power. Uh, The Ten Commandments remind us of our sinful condition. They remind us that we all fall short of God's glory. And no matter how hard you try, you will always fall short of God's glory. And so the Ten Commandments remind us of our need for a Savior. And so all three points, I believe, point us ahead to Jesus. But the most famous part of the Ark of the Covenant was its lid. The lid of the Ark of the Covenant was called the mercy seat. And once a year, the high priest would go into the tabernacle. He would go into the Holy of Holies, Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle the blood uh, of a lamb on uh, the seat, on the mercy seat. And it was the atonement for the sins of the people. And this, of course, is symbolic and foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, who is the perfect lamb of God without blemish and without spot. And Jesus would go to the cross and he would shed his blood for the atonement of our sins. I'm thankful today that Jesus died on the cross for you and for me so that I could have a home in heaven and you could have a home in heaven and we could experience the forgiveness of our sins. And so I believe today that we cannot lose sight of what's most important. Don't lose sight of your salvation. Don't lose sight of the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't lose sight of the fact that you are a sinner in need of a savior. And here Joshua is telling the people, hey, make sure that your eyes are on the Ark of the Covenant. You need to see it in order to move forward. Don't lose sight of what's most important. You know, often in life, we are distracted by the things that are around us. Often in life, we are distracted by trivial things, by temporary things that will not really matter in all of eternity. You know, the Bible has an interesting verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse number 35, that says this, And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord, that you can serve the Lord without distraction. That we are called to serve the Lord and to move forward in God's calling without being pulled in different directions. And so often we are letting the noise of the world keep us from having a close relationship with God. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, there was the Masters Golf Tournament. And uh, the Masters Golf Tournament is kind of like the Super Bowl for golf. It's like the one main uh, golf tournament. Anybody like to watch golf in here? Okay, like four of you. That's about what I expected. I think maybe there was five, one more than the first service. Okay, and... uh, you know, the Masters Tournament is, is the Super Bowl. It's the height of golf. And I was reading recently about the 1961 Masters Tournament. Arnold Palmer was in the lead on the 18th hole. It was the last hole. All he had to do was play it safe. And all he had to do was play it safe and hit a good shot. And, 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 and uh, he would win the tournament. And on the 18th hole, he teed off and he hit the ball right down the middle, right in the fairway. And he was feeling pretty good about his chances to win the Masters Tournament. As he was walking down the 18th fairway, he noticed one of his friends that was kind of standing in the gallery and motioned him uh, to come over. And so Arnold Palmer, he, he walked over to him. And his friend stuck out his hand to shake his hand, and his friend said, congratulations. And in that moment, Arnold Palmer said, I knew that I lost my focus. The next shot, he shot it into the sand trap. The next shot, he shot it over the green. He missed a putt, and he lost the Masters tournament. And he looks back, and he says, it was that moment when I shook my friend's hand that I lost my focus. I wonder today, when it comes to the things of God, where have you lost your focus? When it comes to serving the Lord without distraction, what is it? That's pulling you away from serving the Lord. See, what happens is often a good thing can be elevated to a God thing, and in so doing, it's a bad thing. 
Sometimes we let a good thing crowd out the things of God. A, a good thing in our lives that we want to see come to fruition, but is it taking the place of God? It, has it become a distraction? Has it allowed you to lose your focus? Here, Joshua says, hey, we're about to enter into the unknown, and the first thing that you need to do is make sure that you have a vision, that you are locking your sights on the Ark of the Covenant. Can I tell you today that when all of the world is pulling for your attention to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, looking unto the author and the finisher of our faith, when the world is trying to distract us, what we need is some followers of Jesus that will stay locked in, and I'm not going to lose my focus. I'm not going to lose sight of what's most important. Proverbs 4.25 says, let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. And so we have to make sure that we are serving the Lord without distraction. But then notice verse number four. Are you still with me today? He says, yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near to it, that you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way heretofore. He says, you haven't gone this way yet. Now, Joshua is not so much speaking to a geographic location because the children of Israel were used to going to places that they hadn't gone to before. He's not so much speaking about a new place as he is a new process. Because if you remember the children of Israel, they were traveling in the wilderness and they were being guided. They were being guided by a pillar of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And Joshua says, you're no longer going to have that fire and that cloud. Now you are going to look at the Ark of the Covenant and you are to pursue after the Ark of the Covenant. What, what was taking place here? They no longer had the familiarity of the fire. They no longer had the comfort of the cloud. I believe that every great act of faith begins with the abandonment of the familiar. That I'm willing to get out of my comfort zone. I'm willing to step beyond what's just familiar and comfortable with me. And I'm going to move forward into whatever it is that God has for me. Now today, we don't have a fire. We don't have the cloud. And we don't have the Ark of the Covenant. But can I tell you what we do have? We have Jesus. We have the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. We have the Word of God that is infallible and inerrant to guide us and to lead us into uh, righteousness. And so just like Joshua was telling the people, keep your eyes on the Ark of the Covenant. Keep on pursuing the presence of God. Can I tell you at the 10 o'clock service today at Rock Hill Church to keep your eyes on Jesus, to keep on pursuing the presence of God, to keep on waking up early and encountering His Word. This is what is most important. Don't lose sight of what's most important. Just like Joshua in verse number one, he rose up early in the morning. Some of us today need to wake up a little bit earlier tomorrow and spend some time in God's word. To spend some time pursuing the presence of God. That is what's most important. Don't let the secondary, the trivial, the temporary distract you from what matters most. Number one, don't lose sight of what's most important to you. Uh, number, number two is this today, if you're taking notes. Follow God with the right pace. You've got to follow God, but you've got to make sure that you're following with the right pace. I want you to see it in verse number four. It says this. Yet there shall be a space. Joshua says you're going to follow it, but there's got to be a space. There's, there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it. He says there's got to be this space. You've got to keep your distance. You know, Katie told me recently that when I drive... She says, when I drive, especially if someone's following me, like front of a caravan and people are following me, she says, you're not an easy driver to follow. 
And she has graciously revealed this inadequacy that I have. And in, in, in her wisdom, she's telling me this. And she says, people, uh, you, you just kind of go too fast through yellow lights and, and uh, you're a hard person to follow. And so now, because I am uh, receiving that instruction and receiving uh, that wisdom that she gave me, uh, when people follow after me, I'm trying to go a little bit slower. I'm trying to establish the right pace so that people can follow after me. When, when Joshua tells the children of Israel to establish the right pace and to keep a space between you and the ark, what was he saying? He said 2,000 cubits. That was, that was 1,000 yards. That was 10 football fields. Hey, don't get close to it. W was it because the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God, which represented his holiness, and so they were to keep their distance? I don't, I don't believe that's the reason. I, I think verse number four actually tells us why they were to keep uh, their distance and why they were to have that space. Notice verse number four. It says in the middle of the verse, that you may know the way by which you must go. And so the reason that Joshua told them to keep their distance is because there were two million people that were following after the Ark of the Covenant. And if they were to get in a hurry and if they were to crowd that Ark, then the people that were in the back wouldn't be able to see the Ark. And so if they were to get in a hurry and rush out ahead, they would obstruct the view of the Ark of the Covenant. You know what happens when we try to get out ahead of God? And when we try to do things in our own timing, we obstruct others' views of Jesus. We stand in the way. You know, if you go to a concert, if you go to a sporting event, if you go to a hotel, you want to make sure that your view is unobstructed. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You don't want to have an obstructed view. That's why I always feel bad whoever's sitting in this seat right over here because you have a pole right in front of you. And uh, next week we'll give you a 10% discount. I'm so sorry that, 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 that you have that obstructed view right there. You know, nobody wants to have an obstructed view, but so often because we're trying to get out ahead of God, it's limiting our perspective. And you need to know today that your pace will always determine your perspective. We need to be willing to wait upon the Lord. We're going to follow after God, but we're going to follow after him according to his pace. We're not going to try to rush and be in a hurry and get out ahead of him. Uh, we're going to wait on his timing. In fact, uh, the Bible says this in Psalm 106, verse number 11. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then believed they his words. They sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. Is not that indicative of the human nature? We sang his praise on Sunday. On Monday, we forgot his works. They forgot his works. They waited not. They didn't wait. So in other words, they try to get ahead of God. We're going to take this in our own hands. We're going to figure this out. Uh, we're going to do this according to our own timetable. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request but sent leanness into their soul. Did you see that? See, when you try to get out ahead of God, your wish might be granted, but your soul will be dissatisfied. You might get what you want, but it was different than what you thought. And so the idea here today that we have to recognize when it comes to establishing the right pace is that we're not going to try to be in a hurry and outmaneuver God. We're going to wait patiently according to his timetable. Uh, some of us are always looking to next. Uh, I just get so quickly dissatisfied in my season, and this was fun and exciting and shiny uh, for a little while, but now I've seen it a few times. I don't get any goosebumps anymore, and so now I'm looking for what is new, what is next, what is shiny. But some of us need today to be, need to be reminded to be still and to know that he is good, to just wait on his timing. And so he was challenging them to establish the right pace. And this leads us to our third thought today. Number three is this. We have to embrace the process of preparation. 
If we're going to find spiritual courage when we're facing the unknown, we have to embrace the process of preparation. Notice what Joshua tells them in verse number five. Are you still with me today? Verse five. And Joshua said unto the people, and I love this verse, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. He says, God is about to do something special. I believe by faith that God is about to do something special at Rock Hill Church. I believe that God wants to do something exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine. I believe that tomorrow and in the future, God wants to do something great. But let me tell you today, don't miss out on today's sanctifying. He says, tomorrow, God will do wonders among you. But today, you need to be sanctified. The word sanctified carries the idea of preparation. What was Joshua telling the people? Yeah, we're going to cross the Jordan River, and God's going to do something amazing and miraculous. But today, you need to go back to your tent, and you need to get right before the Lord. You need to make sure that your heart is right. You need to make sure that there's no sin in your life that, 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 that needs to be confessed and given to him. He says, hey, don't, don't miss today's sanctifying. And so Joshua is challenging the people to go and get prepared. Dale Davis said this, if we are not impressed with the grandeur of the living God in public worship, is it because we have not prepared ourselves to see him as such? Could it be that we even failed to detect the Lord's marvelous working in the routine affairs of our lives simply because we have not prepared ourselves to see or even expect that? See, we need to come to church. We need to come to God's presence with a heart that is prepared to meet with God. That we're not just coming and saying, let's see if he can bless me today. Let's see what you got. We're coming in with the heart that says, Lord, would you use me? Lord, would you fill me? God, would you break me? God, would you teach me exactly what it is that you would have for me today? We're coming with a heart of preparation. Uh, did you notice that Joshua says, hey, hey tomorrow God's going to do wonders, but today you need to get sanctified. Did you notice that Joshua did not say, hey, go home and sharpen your swords and get your weapons ready for battle? Joshua was a military warrior. He was a general. He knew what it would take to win a battle, but he didn't go and tell them, hey, go get ready for battle. See, Joshua was one to strategize, but in this moment, he knew that strategy was not the most important thing. See, as a church, we want to have the right strategy. We want to make sure that we have a welcoming kids ministry. We want to make sure that we have a great check-in process. We want to make sure that we have a good strategy. Uh, but far more important than strategy is today's sanctification. Because what does it matter as a church if we have a good strategy, but we are not walking with the Lord, that we are not pursuing the presence of God, that we are not valuing holiness and sanctification. And so Joshua did not say, hey, let's get our strategy together to go to battle. He said, hey, go home and get right before the Lord. Make sure that your heart is in alignment with God's heart. You cannot lead publicly if you are not right privately. So before you move forward, make sure that your heart is right before the Lord. You know, the Bible says this in the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 2, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor sanctified and meet for the master's use. I don't know about you, but that's my prayer that, that God would use us and that we would be meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 
And so that's the prayer of our hearts, that we would have a pure heart before the Lord and that we would practice uh, divine, godly sanctification, that we would be able to move forward in the calling that God has for us. Now, Joshua said we need to prepare for the miracle, so embrace the process of preparation, of getting right before the Lord. And this leads us to our fourth thought today. Number four is this. You have to be willing to get your feet wet. If you want to see God do a great work in your midst, and you want to have spiritual courage moving forward, you have to be ready to get your feet wet a little bit. Notice what it says in verse number six. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel. That they may know that I, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I love here how God is magnifying the leadership of Joshua. He was saying, Joshua, this day I'm going to magnify you in the sight of all of Israel. Just like the people followed Moses, I know that, Joshua, you might battle some insecurity. You might battle some fear as to if you have what it takes. But I want you to know that this day I'm going to magnify you and your leadership in all the sight of Israel. Notice that Joshua did not have to magnify his own leadership. Joshua didn't huddle everybody up before they left and said, I just want you to know, guys, before we go, that I'm verified on Twitter. I want you to know that I have a LinkedIn profile that looks pretty impressive. No, I believe that if we focus on our character, God will focus on our credibility. That if we just focus on being the people, the men and women of God that he wants us to be, then God will take care of the rest. That God will establish the credibility that we need. And so he began to magnify the leadership of Joshua before the people. Notice verse number 8. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you are come to the brink of the water Jordan, you shall stand still in Jordan. And so he tells the priests, here's the plan. You're going to take the Ark. And you're going to go and you're going to place your feet in the water. Now, if you're familiar with this story, you're thinking, yeah, of course, that's exactly what they did. But if you're unfamiliar with the story, you're like, that's the plan? Go put our feet in the water? Can you imagine being those priests, like looking at Joshua, like, you go put your feet in the water. What do you mean, go put your feet in the water? This was an unfamiliar and unlikely, a peculiar thing to do. He says, go get your feet wet. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when you're not sure why, go get your feet wet. Verse number 9. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. We're going to skip verse 10. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. But I want you to see verse number 12. Now, therefore, take you 12 men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon and heap. All right, are you with me today? This is the moment that the whole chapter has been leading up to. The entire book of Joshua so far, the Jordan River was that obstacle standing in the way. And now they're getting ready. The priests are going to put their feet in the water. Now they're getting ready to pass over. This is the, uh, the climax of the narrative. 
And you'll notice the author is going to build some tension. He's going to build some uh, suspense. And he's going to offer all of these clauses that are kind of building and explaining. Building to this dramatic moment where they are going to cross over the Jordan River. Notice it in verse 14. Notice all the clauses, the clarifying clauses that are building to a climax. Notice verse 14. And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as they that bear the Ark were come unto Jordan and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped in the brim of the water. And then there is this interrupting parenthetical phrase at the end of verse 15, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest. It almost seems out of place as the narrative is building as the clauses are advancing, building suspense, then there is this uh, interruption, this commercial break that says we're interrupting this program to tell you the weather conditions of the Jordan River, that this was the season of harvest. And uh, it almost seems like why did that need to be said right there? Couldn't that, have, that little detail been given at the beginning of the chapter? Couldn't that little detail have been given at the end of the chapter? But right here, as the story's building, there's a commercial break to give us the weather conditions of the Jordan River. I believe it's because the Holy Spirit does not want us to miss the significance of what is about to happen. Because at a normal time of the year where they crossed over at Gilgal, the Jordan River would be about 100 feet wide. But during the harvest season, the water could have been up to 50 times wider. And so what the author is telling us that what God was about to do was not only a difficulty, it was an impossibility. The Jordan River was overflowing. Sometimes God will ask you to take a step of faith even when the surrounding conditions are at their worst. Even when you look around and it seems impossible to move forward, that's when God wants us to take a step of faith. The world might look at us and say, you're a church plant just six years in and you're believing that you can buy a building in 2023 with the economy that the way that it is. I just happen to believe that we worship a big God and I just happen to believe that there is nothing that is too hard for our God. And so we ought to take a step of faith even when the conditions are unlikely. You might think, man, I don't know if God can restore my marriage after that happened, after she said this or after he did that. Or, man, I don't know if I can break over this addiction. I've been trying for years to get freedom. I've been trying for years to get recovery from this addiction. I just want to remind you today that there is nothing, there is nothing that is too hard for our God. And all things are possible uh, through our God. And so today, even when it doesn't seem likely, even when the river Jordan is overflowing, our God still has a plan and he is not worried for a minute. The author interrupts, the river is overflowing. It's an impossibility. Notice verse 16, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city, Adam that is beside Zaratan, and those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. In other words, Jericho was watching the whole time. When you are entering into a season of unknown, when you're encountering a difficult season, be faithful because you never know who is watching. Jericho were up on those big giant walls and they were watching what was about to happen and they saw that the God of Israel Yahweh he parted those waters the Bible tells us in verse 16 that God parted those waters all the way to the city of Adam that was 20 
miles away. And so God did not stop the waters for one mile. He did not stop the Jordan River for five miles. He stopped the Jordan River for 20 miles just to show that there is nothing that is too hard for them. He gave them just a little bit of wiggle room to cross over the Jordan River. He wanted them to know just how big and how awesome and how powerful he is. And the people of Jericho were watching the whole time. And it says in verse 17, and the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until the people were passed clean over Jordan. How long did it take to get two million people and all their stuff across the Jordan River? I have no idea. But I know this, the priests stood firm the entire time. They were willing to get their feet wet and they saw God do the miraculous. They were willing to take a step of faith even when it didn't make sense. And then they stood firm on dry ground. They didn't get tired. They didn't quit. They didn't say, this is taking forever. They stood firm. What we need in 2023 at Rock Hill Church is some men and women that would stand firm on dry ground. That we would say, we're not going to grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. I'm going to keep on moving forward. I'm going to keep on doing what God has called me to do. Because it is required of a steward that a man would be found faithful stand firm on dry ground. Now, as we close today, I want to read one more verse. And as I read this verse, I want to invite you to join me in standing as we read verse number 10. And don't miss what Joshua has to say here. Verse number 10. Are you with me? And Joshua said, hereby you shall know what God is about to do is going to give you some confidence. You're going to know that the living God is among you. He says, what God is about to do is going to give you the courage that you need to move forward and conquer the promised land. God is about to do something so big and so wonderful that when you encounter the people of Jericho, when you encounter the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Gerizites, when you encounter all of those people, you will have courage and you will have spiritual bravery because you knew that if God could stop the water at Jordan, then certainly he can stop the enemy that is ahead of me. And if God has been faithful in the past, then certainly he will be faithful in my future. And I love that he says this, you will know that the living God to know today that the God that we worship is alive and well. You need to know today that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfectly sinless life and he went to the cross to die in your place and in my place. But I am so thankful today that three days later, Jesus rose again, defeating sin, death, and the grave. And he is the living God. And as we close today, I want you to know that you can trust him. I want you to know that we can move forward with confidence, not in our own strength, not because we are so great, but because he is so great and he defeated the grave. And so as we close, sing it out today as we lift up the name of Jesus and sing about the living God. Let's sing it out today. Come on, let's raise our voices.